According to Ephesians chapter 6, the choice of weapon for the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you and on the inside of me is the Word of God. Hello, I'm Pastor Gray, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. In just a moment, you're getting ready to go into the service here at Emmanuel. And guess what we use to give the Spirit to work in our lives? The Word of God. I trust that the sermon you're about to hear, that God's Spirit will use it as His sword, and according to Hebrews, that it will get down into us and it'll start working in us, dividing asunder, and will do His perfect work. May the Lord bless you as you listen to the truth of God's Word. Nothing I like better than teaching God's Word, and if you will go to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, and I want you to keep your, your Bibles handy, and uh, I'm, I'm going to walk through, and I, I preach Wednesday night on, on an echo chamber. I preach Wednesday night on tribalism, and, uh, and is it just what, what we've been told, or is it what we believe from the Bible? So I'm going to take, if you go to our website and you look at our doctrinal statement, uh, what does this church believe? It, it does. I, I am amazed how that people look for, for a lot of other peripherals in a church other than what does that church believe? What does that body of believers believe? Because it does dictate our behavior. For you and I to think that there is this separation that happens, it doesn't happen. So let's walk through what does our church believe. You can find these on our website. But I'm, we're going to start, look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In, in, our, in our doctrinal statement, I, I want to pull out the very basis for everything that we have going on because it's from where we're, from which we're redeemed, and that is this, the depravity of man. So when we look at our church and we look at what, what is everybody that's gathered together, everybody that you see on Sunday, everybody that you see all over the place, what does Emmanuel Baptist Church believe about the depravity of man? And when we start here in Romans chapter 5, in verse number 10, and we're going to walk through some verses here, but basically the depravity of man is where your soul and your spirit, your spirit is sealed, your soul and spirit are sealed into this day of redemption, but your body still houses the old nature. Uh, in fact, if you'll go to Romans chapter 7, if you will, and in Romans chapter 7, and as you make your way there, we must understand that this depravity that you and I have, in Romans chapter 7, it walks through everything, that which I should, I shouldn't do, that which I should do, that's, not, that's what I shouldn't do. And, um, and if you go down and you look in verse uh, number 18, in verse number 17, it says this, Romans chapter 7, verse 17, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So now it tells us where it dwells. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. If there is something about you and I that we must always remember about everybody who attends Emmanuel Baptist Church, and now just make your way back to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we must understand this, that this depravity means this. Depravity, the, the word means a vitiated or defective state of the heart, 
wickedness, corruption of moral principles, destitute of holiness, or good principles. You and I can never look at this flesh and think that our flesh is superior to any other flesh. I would put it to you this way. Anything you've ever heard of anybody else doing, we're getting ready to have a pride check about you. Anything that you have ever heard of somebody else doing under the right circumstance and stimuli, you could do the same thing. Your flesh is capable. If you and I right now say, "Uh -uh, uh -uh, (laughs) uh-uh, not my flesh, oh, yeah, your flesh. Because when you take and you trace the word flesh throughout the Scripture, then this is where you and I, we may be shocked and hurt that it happened with this person, but pride, if your pride and my pride says this, well, well, I would never do that. You and I can't speak that way because they have the same flesh that we have. And at the right time for the flesh and the wrong time, look, we can get ourselves into a hundred situations. And what God is waiting on, excuse me, what the devil is waiting on is for this flesh to climb up on top of this mountain of superiority and say, well, that husband, I would never. That wife, I would never. Those kids, my kids would never. You and I can't think this way. And I think the truest test of a church is when we understand all of us have this old man in us and all of us have. Every time I hear of a preacher making an unwise move. And every time that I hear of one of my friends that now they no longer need to be in the pulpit and they no longer need to occupy that office, and every, my, my heart just grieves. But the first thing I do is this, Bob, you are capable of doing the same thing. And there is a wake-up call that should happen to all of us because at the moment this flesh climbs up and says, uh-uh, everybody else but me. That's not true. So as we walk through here, then we must understand that we believe every human being has a depraved nature. We have the ability to do any wickedness at any time under the right circumstance and motivation. So now let's walk through some things and, uh, and let's look at this. So we, and we start out in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by what, please? One man sin entered into the world. We know that that man was Adam. Okay? We know that Adam, on purpose, ate of the fruit, which is asparagus. We know everybody knows that. It's found right there in the Word, and uh, it's asparagus or tripa, and uh, there you go. <laughs> Y'all, there are some weird tacos out there that exist. Uh, so, so we know that it was uh, came into the world. So now let's walk through some verses that help us understand how could it happen to you. You see, a doctrine is no good if there's not application. Y'all hear that. Just to say you believe something, but, but the job of a pastor is to take this doctrine, walk across the bridge, and apply it to everyday living. And what I'm going to do is everything you find on the website, I would go through there and look at what our church believes is translatable into everyday living. So let's start down this journey. Go to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. So remember that your flesh... Uh, this old appetites that you have, um, that the, the, the only thing that is not saved in you 
is that flesh that you have. Now, you say, Pastor, is it that physical body? Is it the cravings that I have? Is it the, is it the uh, taste I have for the old world? Or I've never had the old world, but why am I attracted? Is, is it one? It's all of it. It's anything that this old nature can use to pull back. But that once you're saved, there is this part of you that is sealed into the day of redemption. So look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was what, please? Great in the earth. So here the depravity of man had so started doing this. This is 1,600 years. So in 1,600 years thereabout of man's existence, this depravity in the Bible shields us from the particulars of what this wickedness is. And by the way, can I tell you this? Praise God that the King James Bible is written in such a way that it shields the young readers as they read it from being educated about things they shouldn't know. And, and this is the beauty. And, and so you'll find here, so this wickedness of man, and, and it, it, now look at this, and that every, here it is, and here's what we need to take note of, how does a man's depravity get the best of him? And that every, what is the next word? Imagination, Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every what? Imagination of the what? Thoughts of his heart was only evil what? continually. Now let's stop right there. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. Hold your place there in Genesis because we're going to come back. This is why the Word of God has got to be a vital part in everything that we do. So in Hebrews chapter 4, and look at verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You may know it, but please look at it. A piercing even the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the what? Thoughts and what? Intents of the heart. So now go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. What it said here was, so we know in Hebrews 4.12, that it says that the word of God can get down and be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But back in Genesis chapter 5, you're going to find out that once the thoughts of the heart once this, this, this something about this thoughts of the heart, this center of emotion, once those are not discerned by the word of God, when you and I miss the word of God in our life, when we miss those opportunities to interact with the word of God, then what's going to happen is this becomes a place that once was swept clean. Let me take you back to a parable, a story. Remember the story? They came in and swept this clean but then it stayed vacant, what happened? Seven more. And we wonder one times, how do people that are in church all these years, how do they get themselves in such a situation? Because they stopped the cleaning process. You just can't leave something clean alone or by natural natural, it will deteriorate. So here you have, let's go back to Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every what, please, imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look at verse 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the very first thing you need to write down to understand how does this happen is this, your imagination. There's a part of you, there's a part of every one of us in here that we have to understand that this imagination is imagery. 
When I say cow, you don't think of C-O-W. When I say horse, you don't think of anything but this thing standing. When I say mule, you don't think of the, you, 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 in, your, in your mind, you get a picture. This is why the world is smart. They don't roll out new books. Guess what they do? They take these books and they create a screenplay out of them and they put the junk on the screen and then they twist it to the depravity of man and then all of a sudden it's imagery. All you and I need, and this is what we believe, all you and I need is simply the wrong image and we take it from there. Our heart is so depraved. Boy, if, if our church could, could just embrace this one belief that we believe, that everybody's heart is so depraved, that if we don't consistently clean our heart with the Word of God in our imagination, then it doesn't take much for it just to start snowballing. I, I tell this story often in different venues that maybe I speak at, but, but, but I had a friend in the high school named Michael, and Michael was a black gentleman, and he was my friend, and we were in the same grade. And uh, long story short, but Michael one day got me a purple corduroy pants, a purple shirt with yellow going across, uh, brown suede shoes, a white belt, and, uh, and he brought it to school. We used to meet right back over here before school. We'd go upstairs. That was our classrooms upstairs, and Michael had me change. And uh, I walked different with those clothes on. I acted. I was cool, and uh, I had to walk. And uh, Michael, my mama loved Michael Creighton, but this was in the 80s, so Michael had the fro. Uh, so uh, Kyle, come on, man. We're going to show some pictures. Uh, so, so Michael and I come walking out. My mama pulled up to pick me up from school, and I come walking out in this. I'm decked in the purple, and my mother says, get over here. So Michael and I sauntered up to the side of the car. We both reached down, and my mother said, "What, Bobby Gray, what do you have on? I said, Mama, Michael got me this outfit. And she looked at Michael and said, you stay black, he's white. You stay black, you take them clothes off. You get." I said, but Mama. And she goes, don't Mama me. And, uh, but Michael was my friend, and this was just Michael. We just had a great time. Um, and so we're sitting in class, and Michael says to me, you want to go to the movies? Now, we're in a Christian school, economics. You want to go to the movies? And I was like, Michael, we can't go to the movies. Yeah, we can. And he took the edge of his history book, of economic books, and uh, you ever seen where you put a stick man here, then you change it on the next page, and you change it on the next page, and he goes, you can create a movie. He had taken his book and created a movie, and that stick man jumped over things, and then he came back and like that. Let me tell you something. All you and I need is the very first stick man and then we take it from there. We write our own movie. We write our own plot. We write our own demise, and the devil knows. And churches right now truly do not have these doctrines that they believe that they abide by. That's why when somebody in our church fails, when somebody in our church gets themselves in trouble, then I as a pastor have got to come to the table with this doctrinal belief of what our church is. It, we cannot go, oh, excommunicate them. Y'all, listen to this. We, we cannot go and parade them in front of the church. I am shocked every time that I, I hear of a pastor discussing from the pulpit failures by the members. And it's like, stand them up, make them confess so that they can accept. Y'all, check this one out. That's not even biblical. 
Because what they're saying is we got to keep the body pure. Now, if things need to be handled and people are unrepentant, but, but in the 12, 13 years of pastoring, I've only had one that was unrepentant of what they did. And I asked John Smith to be there, and then I asked a couple of deacons to step in, and I said, this man is not welcome in this church. But that was behind the scenes. That was not from the pulpit because he was just unrepentant. You say, what in the world? But there are hundreds of people who come to church that when they get themselves into situations, they don't need a pastor that goes, oh, oh, what in the world have you done? Now our church is damaged. Hey, let me tell you something. We're sinners. And when we realize we're sinners, and my job as pastor is to not get shocked when somebody does something because it's called the depravity of man. And once this imagery gets going, then all of a sudden it can, look at the very last word in verse number five, it can be continually. And when it becomes continually, then that's when we have a problem. So please don't think to yourself that one, you can fool with sin and get away with it because you can't. Number two, don't think you're better than anybody else just because you haven't lived long enough or you haven't been under the right circumstances to do those things. I find it very interesting that the most forgiving people in our church are people who have walked the path of failure, and now they arrive, and they go, look, look, let me tell you something. Somebody gave me a break one day, and somebody loved me one day. And he, but the prideful people, the, the people that are, oh, I would never be that kind of husband. I would never be that kind of wife. No, that, that's not what our church is about. So our, our, our belief system. So now go to Job chapter 15, verse 16. And I would. I would look at the belief system of our church and just go, okay, so I want to understand what, what, how, what do we believe on certain doctrines? And we believe in the depravity of man. Look at Job chapter 15 and verse 16. You say, well, how depraved are we? How, do, how depraved do you believe that we are? Look at Job chapter 15 and verse 16. Look at, now, now this, is, this is in the narrative of Job, um, and it's a very true statement about man. How much more abominable and filthy is man? Look at this. Which drinketh iniquity like what? Water. <laughs> Do you know what it's saying here? That we can get so involved in wickedness that all, in iniquity that all of a sudden we drink it like water. Like we down this bottle, then we get back to this bottle. You want? I can show you how depraved you are. Um, order a pizza tonight to the house. When the deliverer comes, when the guy comes to the door, open the box, take one piece, take one bite, put it back in, shut it, and say thank you very much, and shut the door and go in. You say ain't happening. You want to know why? You're depraved. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, come on now. Take, take, take a thing of Skittles and only take one out and then reject the rest. It's, take your favorite case. It's not going to happen. It's just because we're depraved. And so what we have to understand is, is that, that man, we believe that man is depraved. We believe that man starts in the imagination. Once somebody gets started, then all of a sudden we consume it like water. And when we start taking it in, this is why you, they, they went from a eight-track, y'all with me? Eight songs, that's not enough. 
Now we have to have a CD with 20 songs. That's not enough. And now we have to have a cloud with hundreds of songs. Why? Because we can't get enough. Binge watching, you know, your phone has your, your time, screen time. Y'all ever looked at that? Okay. And, and it to me, it's just like, I ain't looking at that one. I don't even want to know. But, but you, if you have an iPhone, it has screen time on it. And the other day, somebody said, I used it by permission. The other day, somebody said, Pastor, you'd be proud of me. I'm down 25% in my screen time. And I said, 25% of what? And they went, oh, well, well, 25% of like nine hours a day watching TV. And I was like, hey, you about got there. And uh, so understand this, that, that your, your screen, you know, come on now, this I got to get more. I got to watch more. I got to watch more. I got to watch more. And, uh, and when you're working and you've got watching more and watching more, just I, listen, that's the way we are. We can't stop. Why do you think they have buffet lines? All you can what? Eat. Guess what this industry's done? It's tapped into the depravity. So now go to Psalms chapter 14 and verse 3. So, so when you talk about our belief, and we'll run the gamut from creation uh, to, to the Lord's return, to the resurrection, to baptism. But this is the first one I wanted to start in with because we have to have a baseline for why do we need a church. We need a church that understands every member who walks through the door is going to bring with them issues. They're going to bring with them problems. Why? Because our imagination is waiting. We consume things like water. How many's ever been in a fog, a zone, a season to where it's all of a sudden, got to stop. What is going on? Look at Psalms 14, verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And this is where I would tell you that, that don't think that you are exempt from your depravity coming out because it'll come out. How many's ever had to apologize? Do you know the truest test of your Christianity is not how many days you get it right, but how many days you recognize you were wrong and you have to turn around and just go apologize? Hey, I, I got that one wrong. So understand that as we look through this, everybody, everybody, go to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 6. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6. So these are these verses that when somebody says, what do you believe about the depravity of man? You just simply say, yep, we believe that a man or a woman or a teenager under any circumstance at the wrong time can do anything. And, and, and I think that when we respect the depravity of man, that's when we start setting up safeguards for the things we have going on. Like men, I, I would encourage you to have some type of filter on your phone because you're not exempt and I'm not exempt. And covenant eyes for me is what I have on my phone, my iPad, my laptop, because and my accountability partner is my wife. And uh, we, we could be driving down the road, and she gets a report of the keystrokes that I have. It, it, it takes a now. It, it, uh, it used to be that you had to shut Safari down, and you could only use Covenant Eyes browser. But now they have perfected this, that this thing runs in the background. And when an image comes up, that all of a sudden it will capture that image like a screenshot. It will blur it, and then it sends it 
to your accountability partner, and your accountability partner, partner can, can de- defuzz it or whatever they call it, and it becomes clear until they see what your phone captured. Now, when I start talking this way, most men are like, I don't got a problem. If I had that, it would just prove I had a problem. No, it doesn't. What it proves is you have a healthy respect for how depraved I am. I have Life 360. Kelly's got it on her end. She can see where I'm at every, all the time. Because there has to be a healthy respect for the depravity. And this is where men can, can really put these safeguards up in a church that we understand. The reason a man does this is because we understand that we are vulnerable. And, 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 and I want my wife to have security. I want her to know. And so my phone, she has the password to it. She, she can unlock it, look at anything she wants to look at. She can get into anything on my computer. I don't care. And so because I'm depraved, you're depraved. And so we can't have a church that says, oh, you, you must be doing bad. That's why you have these restrictions on there. No, I don't want to get into anything. That's why I have these restrictions on there. So when we get down, it always gets awful quiet. I can tell that people listening, you're quiet at home, aren't you? And uh, so, um, so, so understand, no one's exempt from this. Now look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6. So once you understand the weakness of who we are, from the sole of the foot, even unto head there, is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have been closed, neither, they, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. So understand, this verse is concerning the city of Jerusalem and the people of Judah, but what it's telling us is that part of this struggle is due to the depravity of man. So listen, you and I will never be free of the possibility until this body is sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. So please don't think I've mastered it finally. Nobody's mastered it. I've mastered my temper. Yeah, until somebody disagrees with you. I've mastered my finances until that sale comes along and your body wants that. Then it's like, I'll be okay. I'll make it up with the next paycheck. Everybody's mastered something until that comes along. So, so there is this soundness. Go to Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 12. This is one of those separating beliefs inside of this that becomes very interesting. So please take note of this. In Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 12, look what it says. And ye have done worse than your fathers. For before ye walked every man after the imagination of his evil heart, that they may not hearken unto me. So when you go through and you study the book of Jeremiah, you're going to find out that there was this generational, it's just getting worse, just getting worse. Now, now let's stop and just understand this. There is no demon walking on top of your genealogy, and it's going to dump into who you are. Most people live in fear of what daddy did or what granddad did, and the only reason they live in fear is because of education, not possession. The devil cannot... And there are, there's a teaching going around that once you unlock the spirit world in any given vice, that it haunts the family tree all the way down. That's not true. That's not true. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And everybody lives and dies by their own decision. But 
there is such a thing as education. There is such a thing as information. And because we are so depraved that the younger we start a depraved behavior, the more it becomes baggage, okay? And it's, and it's, and it's proven to be true that, that if a man or a lady is introduced to a vile, wicked lifestyle at a younger age or they are preyed upon, then what happens is they've been introduced to a world. And, and this is hard to get out of, and this is hard to escape. But once somebody gets saved, they have this power of redemption on the inside. And remember Romans chapter 7? And now we're just looking for how do we perform that which is good? And most of the recovery uh, 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 program that we have, a couple other programs that we're going to start, it's nothing more than giving tools of how to perform which is good, that which is good. If you're saved, you've got the tools. Now, somebody just needs to tell you this is what you use inside God to get this done and just keep doing it over and over again. And watch out, you're getting ready to pull out of, but always you have to respect that it's there. So understand that this this depravity, um, the access to the wrong, the information of the wrong, the education of the wrong. Go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27. So this depravity that's in us, and, and that's why you have to respect it in your kids. You know, the Bible tells us that the kids come out lying. <laughs> the Bible tells us uh, that, that they, they, nobody has to teach them. Uh, in sin did my mother conceive me. In iniquity was I born. So this is, this is inherited because of Adam. And so, but look at Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all, what is that last word? Uncleanness. So now we cannot judge. So please know this. We cannot judge uncleanness or cleanness by what we see. So when I look at people, I cannot look at them and go, okay, so, so they smell good. So they must have conquered their depravity. Um, oh, he's the pastor. He's conquered his depravity. Oh, he's a deacon. He would never. Y'all listen to this. Restraints have to be put on everybody. That's why everybody has to respect the boundaries that are around them, and nobody gets a free pass. Nobody gets a free pass. And that's why I'm just going to choose a subject. That's why if, if you ever see a married man in a car alone with a woman that is not his relative, you can't say because they're a deacon that they've won the, they've won the victory over the flesh. It doesn't work that way. If you walk into a side classroom and there is an assistant pastor with a teenage girl, you can't say, well, you know, their position gives them free. No, 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 no. Nobody gets a free pass. Because everybody must understand that just because it looks good on the outside doesn't mean that they have conquered the inside. Because whited sepulchers were simply these monuments they had to the past that they would make look beautiful. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you see that whited sepulcher over there? It looks beautiful on the outside. But you know what it really houses? Dead. Uncleanness. And, and I think that 
every one of us. And again, when you start speaking in terms like this, it truly puts people on the run. Y'all, I'm just going to be honest with you. The other night, remember the other night when I went off live stream and I, had, and I addressed about people and children? We lost two men. And that's what I said. Well, I just don't think I'm going to come back. Good. Goodbye. And I'm going to say something Sunday. Listen, it's quiet, isn't it? Because we cannot allow a, 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 a thought that says, well, that person could do no wrong. Listen to me. Every one of us under the wrong circumstances could get ourselves in trouble. And when there is a respect for that old man, that old man was going to drag you to hell. And what makes you think that that old man now doesn't want us to live in hell? So, so, so understand that. Now, go to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. So now what wants to happen is this depravity exists on the inside, but now the depravity is trying to get out in our bodies. Because look at Romans chapter 1. There's a progression here. And uh, Romans chapter 1 is talking about a society, and I have 15 minutes. And um, Romans chapter 1 is talking about a society, a reprobated society. And if you'll go to verse number 23, and we're just going to quickly run through these, and change the glory of the uncorruptible. Look at verse 20, 24. Wherefore God also gave them what, please, up until uncleanness. And then look at verse number um, uh, let's see here, verse number 26. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affection. And then go, go, if you go all the way down, and then it tells us they did, didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. In verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So now we find out that it's come out in their bodies. And it talks about dishonoring their bodies, and look at verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So now what the Lord, what, what, what is happening is, and this is why this is a very important foundational, what does our church believe? Our church believes that if you let this depravity go unchecked inside the imagination, you let it go unchecked in the heart and in this, this here, then it will all of a sudden cause you and I to push God out. And what will happen is, is that God will give up, God will give up, and then God just simply turns over. And once this step happens, then all of a sudden you're going to find out at the end of Romans chapter 1 that now there is this society that is unthankful, disobedient to parents, all this moral family breakdown starts to happen. And when this starts to happen, then the church, here, here, here's the sad thing about it. If I could develop this in the next 10 minutes, then the church becomes okay. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. To me, this is sad. This is sad. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is a church you don't want to be a part of. Look what it says here. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. 
that one should have his father's wife. This is craziness. And ye, talking about the church at Corinth, look at it, 1 Corinthians 5, 2, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body and present in spirit, have judged already as though I there were present concerning him that had done so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You know what he was saying? If you let that kind of stuff go on inside the church then now it gets into the discussion about leaven, that that little bit of depravity that is being allowed, you'll leaven the whole bunch. And that's why there has to be a respect for we don't let the flesh and its depravity, we don't let it be okay because it just cannot be okay inside the house of God. And that somebody has to say, sorry, sorry. We, we don't, if, if Sunday morning I walked in and saw a married man sitting with another married lady with his arm around that married lady and I didn't say something, then I am condoning the depravity of man. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I can't interfere in who they are. The question is not how much does the church reach into the home, but how much does the home reach into the church? And if all of a sudden a married man brings in his girlfriend and he's a member, like, whoa, time out, time out. Where's your wife? What is going on? If all of a sudden a married lady is snuggled up to one of our college or career guys and it's like, whoa, 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 time out. What, what is going on here? Now, as quiet as it is right now, There are churches scared to take on depraved behavior. But if it's not hit straight on, y'all, and a church becomes okay. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 5, if you read it, it's puffed up. So go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 24. So what is happening is, is that this depravity is trying to get out to dishonoring the body. Y'all, please know this, that once it's dishonored in the body and becomes visible, The battle was lost in the heart long before it ever came out here. And that's why we have to deal with what goes on in the heart in this depravity, but we have to understand it. Now, the only answer for depravity is is three things, and let me give them to you as we close. Go to Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. Romans chapter 3 and verse number 25. In Romans chapter 3 and verse number 25, the first answer... Is, is this. Are you ready? Christ as your Savior. Christ as your Savior. Romans 3, 25 and 26, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood and to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier, justifier of him which believe in Jesus. So understand, what do I do with this? And by the way, if you and I struggle this much, can you imagine how much struggle there is with somebody who doesn't know Christ? Have y'all ever thought about that? I've thought about that often. Y'all, straighten up your halo right now because when I start talking about struggling in the flesh, everybody's like, well, you know, that's everybody else but me. I just bought a new tie and it uh, can't be me. <laughs> y'all listen to this. Everybody, 
And we have to understand, if we struggle this much, sins of the spirit, sins of the flesh, can you imagine how somebody struggles? In fact, in fact, I wasn't going to bring this up because this is a sermon for Sunday morning in about four weeks. Go to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, and... Um, Okay, in Romans chapter 6, look at verse number 19. All right, you got it? Romans chapter 6, verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmities of your flesh. Are you all there? For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to the iniquity and to iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Look at this. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were, what's that next word? Free. From what? Free. You know what that means? I have no obligation to the Lord. You see, people who are lost, Sunday? What's Sunday? I go to church. Why? Live, what? They're free. They have no obligation to do this thing God's way. And you can tell when somebody who professes faith in Christ, I'm saved, that the Spirit's not there because, I'll, church, ah, I go Sunday morning. I don't go Sunday night. Wednesday night? Nah, nah. I mean, if it was a hockey game, I'd rush, but I, I think if I drag. Here's how, here, the average believer Wednesday night across this country and the world, it's like they drag their, drag their, their, their feet. Now, if it's Tuesday, they're out of there at 4.30, but when, when they just drag their feet, and it's like, you know, I just think if I just take my time, oops, I'm sorry, I got stuck in traffic, and oops, I'm sorry. Y'all, listen to this. It's true, and we know it's true, because I'm the pastor, and it's like, mm, I bet if I, mm, I, I, not you, you're the pastor. I'm depraved, depraved. And that's why all of us need to understand that our church is not full of any perfect people. Our church is full of a bunch of sinners who let them miss two and three weeks. They're going to struggle. Let them miss their Bible. They're going to... So what is the answer? I'm saved. Next, 1 John 4, 4. Would you go there? 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. So this solution to this entire thing is this, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the first thing, Christ as your Savior, next is the Holy Spirit as your conscience. You have to let the Holy Spirit be your conscience. You have to let the Holy Spirit go, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Hey, and if your first thought is, man, if my wife were here or my children were here or the pastor was here, that's the Holy Spirit going, I'm here. I'm here. And so this, this depraved in us that if we get one thing and then we get a binge going on with it, um, all things are lawful unto me. Two sister verses, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. One says, I will not be brought into the power. The other one says, edifying. So understand that you and I are in the same boat. So please, it, it is this, this, this Holy Spirit as your conscience. And then the next is Hebrews 4.12. We've already been there. The Bible as your battle plan. The Bible as your battle plan. I, I, I would encourage you that if you're sitting here, and the reason I want to go through these things is because this, this is our belief system here at Emmanuel. And our belief system dictates our behavior. 
what we believe dictates how we operate. And if you and I can go, why, why don't you do? It's because I don't trust my flesh. I don't trust my depravity. I don't trust me. Well, you must be a wicked, low-down sinner then. Yeah. Yep. Guilty. Aren't we glad Jesus saves? Yep. Yep. And the sins he has saved us from. Listen to this. The sins he has saved us from. The possible sins. Most people think that Jesus only saved them from the sins that they've committed. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus saved you from all the sins you could commit while you committed. Go to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, and I'll end with this. Revelation chapter 21, and look at verse number 8. This was one of those key verses that resulted in me getting saved. Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8. I was 12 years of age. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Ron Shirley stopped the class. And he was going through. And then he came down to this. He said, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, he stopped and said, how many have ever committed those things? I'm thinking in my 12-year-old mind, I know what fearful and unbelieving are. I ain't got no clue what the rest of those things are. And then he said, and all what? Liars. He said, how many are liars? I'm a liar. Do you know what he said? Here's the most amazing thing he said to me. He said, you're a sinner, and you've just not lived long enough to do those things. But if you live long enough to do those things, those things could get you in such addiction and blindness that you never trust Christ. At that point, it was like, I don't think I'm smart enough to stay out of those things. I need a Savior. This is the whole reason when we read these lists of sins in the Bible. Y'all, this book, there's a lot of horrible things that happened in this book. There are a lot of horrible moral things that happened in this book. But you and I can't read this book with the attitude, well, that's not me. You know what happened with Noah's son? That, that's not me. What happened with Lot and his daughter? That's not me. Y'all, check this one out. You're just as much flesh as they were flesh, and we must all understand that. So there are three things that this one belief of our church does. Number one, it puts everybody on the same playing field. Number two, what is a bad day for somebody else may be a bad day for me tomorrow, and how we treat somebody's bad day, tongue twister, is how we hope somebody treats our bad day. There are things that happen in our church that one of these days I wish I could just tell all the stories without revealing the names. But right now there are thriving people in our church that when they had their bad day, people were just like, yeah, 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 come on, we're good. We're good. We're good. Let's get this thing fixed. Let's just get back on the, let's just go. And now they are, even if I did tell the stories, people go, nah. And the third thing I hope to happen is, is that when sinners walk through these doors and come in, they know that this is a place that understands my struggle as a human and that I can get help here. I can get help. You know, have you ever heard somebody's testimony? You went, you? No. 
Not you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. I really hope that you enjoyed the service here at Emmanuel. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. At the bottom of the screen is my cell phone number. If I can do anything for you, please give me a call. I trust that you'll be back with us for the next broadcast. God bless you, my friend. Have a great week.